Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the God Center Mom podcast with me, Heather McFadden. This is episode 187, and I'm chatting with my friend, Stephanie Giddens. She's the president and founder of Vickery Trading Company. And in this episode, she's going to share her story, a story that includes a desire of her husband and family to move to Africa, and then God showing them that wasn't the plan. A season of waiting, being a stay-at-home mom, not knowing what God had next for her, and being a little bit discontent with where she was. Until God opened her eyes to some women who needed her help right around the corner. Here's a little clip of that story. You know, I think as our church was starting to get involved with refugees, I realized there's just as much pain five minutes from my house. And there's still women who are marginalized, incredibly so. They need a helping hand. They need someone to reach out and help them along. So I, I realized, okay, well, this looks really different from what I thought, but it's also really the same in a lot of ways. I just had to change my attitude about it. I don't look at something usually and say, oh, I can't do that. I'm like, oh, well, this is another challenge. Let's figure it out. People are like, you can't do that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll watch me. Did you hear that? That's Stephanie showing you that she's not afraid of a challenge. In fact, it's a little hope for you moms of strong-willed little girls. Stephanie mentions that she may have been difficult to raise, but that strength is helping her out. Because not only does she give us a glimpse into the life of a refugee, she reminds us that these women came from very different backgrounds. And she uses the strength to help challenge them to get along and also embrace their commonalities. I love that part of our interview. So let's get right to it. Here we go. Hey, Stephanie, welcome to the God Center Mom podcast. Hi, Heather. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It's always cool when people that I know in real life, like see in the hallways, preschool hallways, uh, worship (laughs) with, are doing great things that I want to share with the women who listen to this show. So it's a real joy to get to share you with everyone listening. Well, thanks. Well, I have loved what you're doing. I've been watching from afar, and I've been curious about the woman behind Vickery Trading, Stephanie Giddens. So take us back. (laughs) Um, Tell us a little bit. How did you get into this? How did you even start working with refugees and sewing dresses? Where did this all begin? Yeah, it was kind of it was kind of by accident. Um, So about four and a half years ago, in 2013. Um, my husband, Brad, and I had planned to move to Kigali, Rwanda, and we, Brad had a job over there, or he had secured a job over there. We were about to move, and we were going to work there for a few years under a company, learn the business environment and the culture there, and then start our own social business. We've gotten really interested in empowering impoverished people groups and starting a social business, hiring women who are typically uh, more marginalized really all over the world, but especially in places like East Africa. So we sold our house and enrolled our daughter Campbell in school over in Kigali and um, found a house over there. We even had dogs adopted over there, all kinds of things. And (laughs) 20 dogs, even had the dogs ready. All the details. Yep. Even had the dogs ready. Okay. Um, And so, I mean, life was that we were unplugged here in Dallas and getting plugged in over there in Kigali. And 24 hours before we shipped our container overseas, um, the job fell through. Wow. And yeah, it was, uh, that was a crazy day. And so actually the next, that was a Friday when that happened. So the following Sunday, 
we were supposed to be commissioned. The church was going to pray over us and send us off. Instead, we shared our story from the front about how we were literally at that point jobless and Mm. homeless and we had no clue what we were going to do next. So incredibly humbling. Like in so many things, so many things, like all the plans we set before ourselves Mm -hmm. just gone in a moment. Yeah. And we, I mean, it was something that we had studied and planned for and prayed over and all kinds of things for years prior. Mm. And, um, you know, that was, you know, it was the Lord leading us down this path and, you know, we were going to go after this dream and where the Lord was leading us and it all just came crashing down. Mm. So it was heartbreaking to say the least, you know, by the grace of God and Brad got his job back at his company here in Dallas. And, um, so life just got crazy. After that, we moved three times in six months, you know, and with friends and into a rent house and finally into the home that we're in now. I kind of, I got pregnant with our third kiddo. So it didn't really make sense at that point to try to find another job. I had already quit my job. I ended up getting really sick with him and my body just went crazy. Um, and so it just, it took a long time for me, you know, this hard time of not moving. And then my body was going crazy. I'm stuck at home. I had always worked and I couldn't work at the time. So I kind of felt like I was this default stay at home mom. I had never Mm -hmm. really wanted to be a stay at home mom. Um, but that was kind of what the situation was at the time. And I hated it. (laughs) I was, I was miserable. Um, and I mean, I love my kids and I love the time I was spending with them, but the whole time I'm like, okay, I was, I was created to be a mom and I was created to do this and something else in addition to, and what is that Lord? You know, it took a long time to recover financially, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, everything from all of this. About that time, as I was starting to, you know, physically recover from having this kiddo that kind of messed my body up, our, our church started getting involved with refugees here in Dallas, in Vickery Meadow, which is a neighborhood in Dallas that has a very high concentration of refugees. My small group, you know, started to say, well, Stephanie, you know, why don't you, why don't you look at doing work with refugees? you know, cause they're right here. They're five minutes from your house. And I was like, well, that's great, but I don't want to work with refugees. I want to go to Africa. <laughs> mm, interesting. Yeah. And cause I still had this heart for what we were going to do, even though it had been quite a while since everything fell through. They were like, Stephanie, you know, just, just give it, a, just give it a shot. And I'm like, that's great. But no, I, I want to work in Africa, I don't want to work here. And so finally, after, you know, being encouraged by them and wrestling with the Lord over it, um, I realized, you know what, the Lord prepared me and gave me a heart for um, social business and empowering women. So I still had this desire after all of this time and this heartbreak to empower women. I was like, the Lord led my heart in this direction. And I did all of this studying and preparation and no, I'm not in Africa. I'm here in Dallas for the foreseeable future, but what can I do with that? Because I feel like the call on my Lord's life is still the same. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, how can I make this work in Dallas? I had spent so much time trying to figure out how to make business work in Africa. So it it was kind of. Kind of like a death of a dream. Like you had to grieve the loss of that absolutely, and go through a grief process. Like what you're saying sounds like grief, the 
reality of your situation being different than what you wanted, um, being home, but wishing you were pouring yourself into a ministry or something outside the home Two, like that's a lot to process and grieve over and to give yourself time. How long was the time that you were in that um, state and season? It was about, it was a good two or two and a half years. Wow. Um, okay. That's a long time. Yeah. And that right there could be an encouragement to someone who's listening. Yeah. <laughs> because it's not like a two month and it all game better and everything's fine. That, oh, that that's, no. Yeah. No, it didn't. And like, I mean, we still, to be honest, four and a half years later, we still feel the financial repercussions mm. of, you know, and I mean, some of it is, it just, our life took a different path completely. Like it changed the trajectory of everything. And some things will always be different because- right that move fell through in our hearts and then the reality of our life and our financial situation and all kinds of things. Um, it kind of permanently changes things. So there's a lot of times where you can get stuck in this place of, well, if this wouldn't have happened, then I wouldn't be experiencing this right now. And I just had to stop and say, okay, no, like I've got to trust the Lord that yeah. he's got this and he saw this. Um, another thing I we struggled with a lot in the beginning was the why, you know, Mm. why did we pray about this and, um, you know, feel so led this way. And there were so many open doors and so many big mountains moved that we could not have moved on our own. And then it all came crashing down. Um, why, why, why? And, um, you know, our even close friends and family, (laughs) I can't tell you how many times I heard, well, maybe you heard God wrong. Mm. And so that was kind of a blow (laughs) because it's like, well, you know, Brad and I prayed about this, you know, and you felt a peace, you felt direction. Exactly. It's not like you were doing something outside of what the Bible <laughs> calls us to. You weren't, <laughs> you weren't being disobedient and going off exactly. and doing something. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, but it's discouraging uh, when the people in your life are not supportive of the thing yeah. you felt called to do just because it didn't happen in the way that you exactly. thought it would. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And, and, you know, we got a lot, a lot of that, you know, well, this is something really you were probably doing in your own power, not the Lord's. And I'm like, well, actually, no, like actually the doors that were open were not, that was not possible. Um, but we just kind of smiled and nodded and we just came to a place where we had to accept the fact that sometimes we don't get the, we're not privy to the why. Um, Mm. Even, you know, especially this side of heaven, sometimes we're not going to figure it out. Um, And I had to settle with that um, long before anything came about with Vickery. Um, I just had to say, okay, Lord, I don't know why this happened. And I hate this. And this is not a fun place to be. But this is where you have me. And so that's okay. Because I don't have to know the why. Um, And it makes it easier sometimes if we understand why. But that doesn't mean that, you know, we have a right to that answer from God. So that was a big lesson. Hmm. So this two and a half years, this waiting, this grieving, this sorting out, and our church is getting involved in Vickery, and you're like, no, I want to go to Africa. (laughs) That was the plan. (laughs) Um, What changed your heart? Like what made you say, okay, I'll give it a shot? You know, I think as our church was starting to get involved with refugees, I realized there's just as much pain five minutes Mm. from my house. And there's still women who are marginalized, incredibly so. And 
they need a helping hand. They need someone to reach out and help them along. And so I, I realized, okay, well, this looks really different from what I thought, but it's also really the same in a lot of ways. I just had to change my attitude about it. Did you go through like a, God forgive me, like, I'm sorry, um, I was wrong. And like, a like, and, or was it just, you know what? Okay. I accept this. Yeah. I mean, maybe I should. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't this like big shining Paul on the road to Damascus moment. It was more just no, this it wasn't, shifting yeah. in your heart. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't really a, a repentance no, issue. No, it was just an no. acceptance of yeah, changing path. You know? That's good. That's so good. It wasn't like we had done anything wrong or no. sinful. Um, it just, I mean, that's life. In a sinful world, things change. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that's that's okay. Like, we may not yeah, like that's it. That's really good. That's, that's really okay. good. And yeah. we have to understand, too, that, you know, it's not about me. And it's not about my story. Like, we as believers get the privilege of being a part of God's story. And so, you know, I get to play a little part of that, but it's his story. It's his plan. He has the right to change it when he wants to and for his glory. And it's not going to always look like I want it to or how I thought it was going to. Um, But I have to remember my place that I'm a player in the story, not the author of the story. And that's probably where it's more of an acceptance, but the repentance is, I'm sorry, God, that I was making it about my way versus your way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And I think we do that in motherhood or we do it and in a lot of different areas in our marriages and our friendships where we get so hung up on how we think it should go. Well, this is how I should, <laughs> my kids should behave. This is how my husband should lead the family. This is how, and we have to say, okay, God, I'm so sorry. Yes. You have a different way and a different method, and I need to surrender that to you um, and accept what you've handed me, even though it is not what I, I thought we were going. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we were going to Africa. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I like to be in control of, well, most things. <laughs> what? No one I know is like that. <laughs> no one in my and life so, likes to be in control. Yeah. Especially moms. We don't like to be in control. Um, mm-hmm. And so when I just all of a sudden wasn't in control, I just had to get really used to not being in control. And just once I gave that up. I mean, I've re-grabbed it since then. Of course. (laughs) It's a really fun thing to grab when we feel a little bit fearful or insecure. It's like, oh, where's my control button? Exactly. (laughs) Can make this feeling go away. But yeah, yeah, once I kind of gave up on that whole thing or at least a little bit of it, things started Mm -hmm. to kind of, you know, move forward. So So what were your first steps to getting involved in the refugee center? You know, we kind of, I kind of backed into it. I was like, okay, there's these refugees here and I'm really interested in the social business thing. Um, What would be the best way to empower them? Okay. Mm. I've got to find a skill that I can teach them that doesn't require a lot of education um, because they're coming with a low level of education. And Mm. um, so it's got to be a skill that can be shown also that doesn't require English because there's... Mm. Uh, you know, umpteen thousand different languages and dialects in this neighborhood. I mean, it's crazy. So nobody speaks the same language. So it's got to be something I can show them and they can learn. Realized that skill was sewing. It's something that they probably were already coming with from their home country, from their culture. So I was like, okay, sewing. 
So social business, where, where are the holes in the market? There's holes in the clothing arena as far as social business and give back model businesses go. And then yeah. the more we dug, there's a bigger hole in children's clothing. Yeah, um, totally. So we're like, okay, you know, cause there's tons of people out there doing jewelry, handbags, doing a fabulous job. And a lot of those companies are here in Dallas and here in Texas. So I was like, they don't need any more competition. Like the market is saturated, but I want to support them. I don't want to compete against them. Um, so I'm like, what can we do different? You know, there's a big hole in children's clothing. Well, now I know why there's a big hole in <laughs> children's clothing. Cause it's really hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. it's really hard. But people are buying children's clothing. They are. They are. And you just don't think to buy it this way because going to Target and grabbing a couple things or Old Navy that are cheap because kids grow out of them fast is simpler. It is. And more cost effective. Yeah. We think it's more cost effective. Yeah. Yeah. We assume it is. And then we have a huge closet full of clothes. Yeah. Mm -hmm, That aren't worn. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, so speaking from experience, <laughs> yeah, I know. No well, judgment. I am raising my hand. <laughs> yeah. So you back your way in. You realize children's clothing as a whole, and so then how do you start? Like, yeah. So I don't. I didn't know how to sew at the beginning. <laughs> Yourself? Yeah. No. I didn't. So awesome. <laughs> um. So That's I was. So just, awesome. It was like, and I can go back and show you the notes where the Lord was like. Like I have the business model sketched out over pages and pages and pages of my journal. These are all the pieces and this is what's going to happen. And we're going to build into, you know, their lives this way. And it all requires sewing. And I'm like, okay, I don't know how to sew. (laughs) (laughs) Inner weakness. Yeah. So I'm like, I got to go learn this. So I started taking sewing lessons. Not so I could necessarily become an expert seamstress because I'm not at all. Um, but so that I could at least understand the process so I could understand mm-hmm. what was going on um, and have a little bit of street cred with the women that I plan to hire. Um, <laughs> and then we started, um, asking moms, you know, Hey, what kind of clothes are you looking for? La la la. We had a bunch of focus groups and they were all over the place as far as how they shop and color and style and all this stuff, but consistently across the board, they were like, we want something that we can wash and dry and not iron. I want to pull it out of the dryer and put it on my kid, which we all know. We don't want to iron. We don't want it wrinkled. It's got yeah. to be comfortable for the kids to wear or they're not going to wear it. So I was like, okay, this is great. You know, we're going to make knit. We're going to do knit. So I've got to find, um, I've got to make really, really cute knit clothes that are going to cost a lot more than people are expecting and figure out how to do this. Okay, great. Um, well, and I also didn't realize at the time because I didn't know how to sew that how knit, hard it is to yeah that knits are like i'm like hardest. knit it i was like it's like between a swimsuit and a knit i mean you're pretty that's real or jeans i'd say those three are my least yeah. favorite to sew okay yeah yeah so yeah. i didn't know that so i was like okay we'll we'll go we'll make knits this is great um <laughs> <laughs> lose and learn see you learn yeah. something yeah so we i didn't again didn't know what i was getting myself into so i just started learning cuz i'm not, I don't look at something usually and say, oh, I can't do that. I'm like, oh, well, this is another challenge. Let's figure it out. Yeah. yeah. People are like, you you know, you can't do that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll watch me. <laughs> we got to know how we're wired. <laughs> we're all motivated differently. Yeah, that's good. And I'm motivated by no. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, we, I just, 
and from there, I can't even tell you what happened. I just started talking to people and I would, from the beginning of every conversation, I would sit down with them and I would say, hi, I'm crazy <laughs> and I'm doing this thing with um, pretty much an underperforming labor force and I'm paying them a lot of money to do it and then we're going to help them a lot. Do you want to help me? <laughs> yeah. And surprisingly, a lot, a lot, a lot of people came on board and helped me. Um, they agreed that I was crazy, but they were like, this is crazy in a good way. And I just think this just might work. And so we just went from there, started meeting. I mean, I would meet with people in the industry locally, which is kind of in Dallas, the fashion industry is dwindled down to almost nothing. Um, yeah. Enough that I could still talk to people here and there. But uh, we slowly found designers, pattern makers, a great fabric wholesaler that doesn't, you know, that works with our really small size right now. And, um, you know, so from the business perspective, all the details started to work together. And then we started to piece together this um, model of caring for the women. Um, because really the sewing, it's buying time. You know, they, they come in, we train them to sew, then we start paying them fair wages for their work. Um, but they spend an hour every single day in personal development and cultural assimilation. So they're getting reading, typing, handwriting. We have an ESL teacher come in. We have a financial literacy course for them, resume prep, all of this stuff. So the job is just buying time for them to do the rest of that stuff so that they can get used to life here in the United States. Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's put ourselves in the mind of someone going to another country. Because I was even talking to my mom about this. We were talking about how complicated things are, like even getting her driver's license recently how hard it was. I mean, moving to a new place, I don't think we can fully grasp. Like we can say, wow, I'm sure that's hard. But I don't think we can really grasp how complicated and confusing moving to the United States can be. Oh, absolutely. Well, and I think that as Americans, yeah, Americans are always going to have a really hard time understanding because mm -hmm. almost anywhere we go in right. the world, if we're American and we have a U.S. passport, we have yep. the upper hand. Yeah. Um, and people will know most likely English. Exactly. Someone will. Exactly. Yeah. I haven't really, I haven't traveled to a place yet where I, I couldn't communicate. And, you know, especially in developing countries, I don't want this to come across wrong, but being white and being mm -hmm. American, you know, by no, you know, fault or merit of my own, um, that's, you know, how the Lord put me on this earth. But there is, there's something that comes with that and a privilege that comes with that, that I think that we don't recognize totally. until we start working either in developing countries or with people from developing countries. Um, so they come in and our church has a program where you can sign up to meet with a family at the airport uh -huh. and kind of partner along with them in their journey of setting up an apartment, going through the process of finding jobs. But that's <laughs> something that our church has put in place. The government how much assistance are they giving these women um, who, like you said, are already marginalized in their own countries mm -hmm. and they come here and what is, what is the process like for them when they get here? Yeah. So they, um, they come through a typical refugee. It takes about 
18 months to three years to get clearance to get over here. And that's after Mm. they've already fled their home country. Someone who's a refugee Mm. has had to leave their country because of um, war or persecution, the threat of death because of um, religious or social persecution. Mm. Um, And um, like what we see going on in Syria right now on the news to, you know, give a current example. Yeah. And um, they no longer have a home country. So they're already, they've already been wandering and then they go through all these security checks and get clearance to get over here. Um, and most of the places that they're coming from, you know, um, for example, I have one woman in my program who has never had a day of formal education in her life, mm. not even kindergarten, because she was born in a place that says you're not important because you're a woman. Your place is to be at home mm-hmm. and cook and clean. And if you step outside of your front door at the wrong time of day, um, we have the right to shoot you if we want to. Wow. Um, so that's graphic, but that's the reality of where a lot of these women that are in my program are coming from. Mm. Um, so they come here, some of them illiterate in their own language. And then they're in this new world where not only are they illiterate, but they can't even speak the language of this country. Mm. You know, the U.S. government gets them over here, but then they hand them the bill for their plane ticket. Oh, my stars. So, I had no idea about um, that. That's neat. Yeah. All refugees show up with debt. Um, usually, I mean, and a lot of these families have a lot of kids. So a lot of times it can be upwards towards, you know, $5,000 yeah. for, you know, plane tickets. Um, and then they, they receive full services. Once they get here, they come through, you know, some, someone like the international rescue committee, um, or someone like that, um, helps them through the process, get them, you know, their social security card, things like that. Refugees are eligible to work from the day they get off the plane. Hmm. Um, they're immediately eligible to work. Um, that's part of the U.S.'s program to help them get up and running. Um, and then they give them everything, housing, phone, um, you know, utilities, food stamps. Um, all of them are on um, Medicaid when they first arrive so they can finish getting any healthcare issues addressed, immediate needs, or if their kids need to finish their, you know, third round of vaccines or something, um, because they're all vaccinated when they come. Um, but then at 90 days after arrival, they start to cut off the bills and they're expected to have learned the language, secured a job and be earning enough income to support themselves. After Three 90 months days. after arriving. Yeah. We've been in between jobs before that is tight when you are yeah. from the country and have connections and networking. Three months and is probably a, a little bit of savings and too. savings to live off of in those three. <laughs> you know, that's like tight. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So and, how would you even connect with them? Like, how would they even yeah. know that you're available as an option? Are you like going around those apartment areas and inviting women or are they hearing from friends or, you know, you know, we were really, uh, we were really strate- strategic about where we chose our office. We are actually, um, so our church runs a refugee community center in the middle of Vickery Meadow, this refugee neighborhood that we work in. So I, you know, was able to connect with the landlord of the building, who is an organization other than the church and, you know, say, hey, we want to be in this space. So um, we ended up in this building where refugees in the neighborhood are already coming mm. for English classes, computer classes, diaper distribution, after-school program with their kids, that kind of thing. We actually have one of our walls is glass, and it overlooks the lobby. And so literally, you walk into this refugee center, 
and you look up and there's like this bright, shiny, happy sewing room and people are like, what's that? And so I have never had to recruit. Wow. Um, I have about currently, we've got 10 women on our payroll right now, nine associates and one childcare worker. I have about 85 applications sitting in my office. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, the need is so pervasive in the neighborhood. It's just women who have seen us need the work, want the work. Well, there's Um, probably an attraction to that community that you're building and the services you're providing outside of the work. I mean, the English classes, it's amazing. It's amazing, but you can't hire those 85 because you have to have (laughs) demand for the clothing, right? And the, exactly. And the, exactly. So we're working on that. <laughs> demand for the clothing and then you need the machines to sew. I mean, there's kind of like a, you can't, what is it, scale? To, exactly. To, like, exactly. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it costs a lot of money to scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and we slowly, we're slowly getting there and we're slowly bringing on new women. I was able to bring on one more about a month ago. And, um, you know, so we slowly as we can hire women, but, but yeah, so fortunately to answer your original question, we have, you know, I have connection with, I have connections with all of the resettlement agencies, but I haven't ever really had to rely on that to find women and referrals. Well, and I love the center you describe is the one that our church started and the whole story of how that came about, like that's a whole podcast episode in itself. I'm I'm amazed at how God's hand was on even just that facility that prov- would provide that beautiful space for these oh, women. Yeah, and, and it's families. incredible that there's this three-story office building right Amazing. in the middle of this really low-income neighborhood. Um, so yeah, that's what a, a lot of people, you know, they're like, Victory, Victory, where are you from? I'm like, you remember <laughs> that whole Ebola thing in the U.S.? Yeah. yeah, that's where the one case was. It was in this neighborhood. It was right here in that <laughs> hospital. It's their, one of their office yeah. buildings. Yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, and there's always out of hard things, good things grow. Um, mm-hmm. What are some stories from women that you've b- built relationships with? The ways that you've seen those 10 women's lives change because of starting Vickery Trading. Oh my goodness. I have, there are so many stories. Um, so I think one of the sweetest things is when we first started, you know, um, they told that they, the proverbial they, they <laughs> told me all these people, I can't tell you how many meetings I had. And they were like, you're not going to be able to get women from Iraq and Afghanistan to work together. Mm. They won't work together. Oh, like, I, I mean, like, I didn't even thought about that. Like the different people groups that you're bringing together. Yeah. Yeah. Different culture. Yeah. You know, because refugees tend to stick with their people group, their language group, their well, culture. They're born they're into a, an ethnicity. And a, I mean, they're born into it. They can't like switch sides. Yeah. 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 Okay. Exactly. Um, mm. And they come from countries that, you know, America is really kind of a melting pot. It really is. Yeah. And I've realized that more since I started working here. And they are born into very, uh, for the most part, culturally and ethnically more pure areas yep. of the wor- yep. world. Yep. And so they're not used to having to interact with different yeah. races, nationalities, that languages, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, so I was told so many times, they're not, you're not going to be able to get them to work together. They're, you're going to have to have different shifts and all the stuff. And, I, and again, there's that no. And I was like, oh yeah, watch me. And you're um, like that. <laughs> Here's the challenge. I'm ready. 
There is someone listening <laughs> who's sure like, enough, I they... so get Stephanie. I so get that spirit. I'm, I am not that person. I'll say, oh, okay. All right. All right. I'll back down. <laughs> but that's amazing. Uh, I love that God made you that yeah. way. Yeah, you can ask my mom how that defiance worked for me growing up. <laughs> okay. So uh, even that, that's a lesson for the mom of a little girl <laughs> who's like, oh yeah, no. All right. I'll show you. That just makes me exactly. stronger. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. There's something to that strong-willed kid, which yeah. I have one now. So you get, yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they told you this is impossible. This is not. Yeah. You're not going to be able to do that. And so I was like, okay, well, whatever. And so we came in the first, when we first started, we had, they all had like individual tables with the home sewing machines all lined up. You know, we had 10 sewing machines and they would walk up to me and point blank one foot away from a woman of a different nationality or a different color skin, they would say, I don't want to sit by her. Can you put me up in the front of the room? Wow. And I would look at them and I'd say, no. Wow. And I told them, it doesn't work like that here in America. No one gets to pull the, I don't like what that person believes card at work. And so we're going to learn to work through that. And so I, I was kind of a stinker to them. I, um, like I would, after they left for the day, I would like switch around their sewing machine. So when they came in the next day, they would like be sitting in a different place by someone that they didn't like. Um, and, and then I would be like, okay, your partners work on this project together. And they would look at each other like, who are you? And, um, so I started doing this thing every five minutes every day. Um, I was like, you know what, ladies, we are, we look different and we seem like we're different, but we're really a lot more similar than we think Mm. because we are all mothers and wives and daughters and women and sisters and, you know, whatever the common thing is, we eat, we get hungry, we get tired. We've been, you know, we've been pregnant or whatever it is. There are so many more things that we have in common than we have have different. uncommon yeah. from one another, yeah. yeah, different from one another. And so we picked a topic every morning, like talk about your favorite birthday memory or tell about your grandmother mm-hmm. or something like that. And I would have them spend five minutes a day in English, um, tell each other that. And this was back when they, they didn't know each other. They barely spoke English. And slowly over the next couple weeks, we started to see this little bond form mm. And, um, now this, most of this group has been here about 15, 16 months now. And, um, they're kind of the guinea pigs for the program. So they've been in quite a while. We're (laughs) still trying to figure stuff out. (laughs) Hey, that's okay. Um, That's like the oldest child. It's fine. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but now they are the sweetest community, Mm. um, to watch how they joke and love each other and take each other meals when they're sick or have babies or when someone's missing or they they hang out together on the weekends and love each other's kids and to watch how we've made this little community that doesn't usually happen in, you know, it doesn't usually happen for refugees Mm -hmm. because they usually just kind of stick to themselves. And we've been able to bust them out of that and help them realize, okay, America is not a bad place. um, But you also don't have to give up your culture of origin and let's help you find a way to make that beautiful in the big mix of everything mm-hmm. and get along here. And they've been able to do that amazingly well just because we've been super intentional about it. And it's been the coolest thing to watch. So I think that's been my favorite thing. It's so amazing. I love that so much. I just, it's so true across the board. 
all of us mm-hmm. where we draw these lines where we're like, I don't like that kind of person or I don't like this or I don't even like you. And the more we find in common, the more bonding and community can happen. I love it. I love that you're mm-hmm. a stinker too. That you are <laughs> <laughs> together. Um, like, yeah, we're not going to do that. That's um, so, think, so great. I'm trying to think of, there's got to be another example of like the English. So I learned pretty quickly that like English is the biggest barrier for all refugees mm-hmm. and they don't, you know, they can go to ESL classes and that helps. But when you go to an ESL class one or two hours a week and then go home and speak yeah. your yeah. home language, yeah. um, you know, your native tongue the rest of the time, you're just not going to acquire a language very quickly. So we practice English immersion here. They have to speak English during the day. Um, and then we have everything labeled so that they're seeing, you know, shelf, yep. door, light switch, yeah. all of that. They're learning the letters. And um, we practice English a ton. They're reading, writing, ESL, everything. And it's been so cool to watch them. We we come in every morning and celebrate victories. Mm. Just the smallest, tiniest things. Because so many things are hard for them that I want them to realize that they're making progress. I can't tell you how many victories have been directly related to them acquiring English. You know, they're mm-hmm. like, Miss Stephanie, I can go to the grocery store now and I know that I'm not supposed to park in this spot. And I was breaking the law before, but I didn't know I was because I couldn't read. And now I can obey the law just like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Or now I was able to transfer my children to a better school by myself. I was able to go talk to my kid's doctor and I didn't need a translator and, or talk to my teacher. Oh, absolutely. And so to see how they have thrived and what they've been able to do just, just to live normal life. I mean, it's things we do every day and, you know, totally take for granted, but they, um, they weren't able to do because they didn't know the language. And um, so it's been really cool to watch them come in and get so excited. You know, Miss Stephanie, I, you know, filled out an application by myself and I got the financial aid or whatever it is. Mm. Um, So it's been so sweet to watch them as we just kind of sit back there and watch them grow in English and grow in confidence. They kind of take off on their own. So cool. So cool. And I just heard this morning from a parenting coach, uh, that I needed to work on is instead of noticing everything that's wrong, what went well, what went well today and what you're doing is that what are what's a little victory. And she said, whatever you put your attention towards is what grows in your brain and your neurologically, but also just to encourage our kids, encourage our, our marriages, encourage our, our work situations is so often we focus on what's wrong. And um, I love that you're having them draw attention to that and everything that you're doing. I want to make sure that person who's listening can connect and see your clothing. Cause I'm sure they know someone in their life who's a little girl, whether it's their <laughs> own little girl or it's a niece um, or a granddaughter uh, or friends, little girl. I have single gals that listen to the show. So uh, where would they find your clothing that you're making? Yeah. Well, first of all, little surprise, probably by the time this podcast goes live, mm-hmm. um, we will have launched holiday lounge pants for women and men and boys and girls. Oh, my um, stars. So we all can get involved. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Holiday lounge um, pants. Yes. Yeah, awesome. So okay. they're just going to be offered for a little while, a very short little while. We're going to test run it in 
um, over Christmas. But yeah, there is actually something for everyone. Um, but we're still mostly little girls' clothes. So where um, would they go? Where do they get these they amazing would go pants? Vickerytrading.org. Vickery Trading. And I'll put the link in the show notes, guys. So if you can't write it down right now because you have soapy hands or you're driving a car. Yes. And I'm going to give you a um, a discount code to offer them as well. Fabulous. You know it now or are you going to wait? Well, I'll, I'll yeah. add it to the end of the show if you don't know it now. Yeah, I know it now. It is okay. G G C M. Yep. Fit. 15 for 15% off. Fabulous. Okay, y'all. See you saving money for Christmas. You can get <laughs> your presents. You'll be ready to go. Oh, man. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I think we're just coming off the heels of Thanksgiving when this episode goes live. We've been thankful for so much, but I don't think we really grasp all the things we could be thankful for. And um, thank you for opening our eyes to that. But then also just inspiring us of little ways we can make the world a better place for someone. And it's as simple as even just where we would buy clothing could change someone's life. And I love everything you're doing. I pray that you are encouraged uh, to keep, keep running the race. I know maybe I should tell you no, and then you'll be <laughs> you'll keep running the race. Like, I can encourage you by telling you, you, you got to stop. You got to stop. You'll keep going. But thanks for sharing your story today and uh, for letting us all in a little bit. Thank you so much. It was so fun. Yeah. Well, you have a very Merry Christmas. I'll see you on Sunday. All right. Okay. See you soon. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye. So with Christmas time, we're buying presents. And, you know, we have got a lot of choices on where we can spend money and the easy options versus the ones that take a little bit more time to find but do the greater good. So if we're going to spend dollars, we might as well spend them on things that can do the greatest good. And I can't think of a better way than to encourage these women to know their English, to bond together as a community, to have a ripple effect in the refugee community that they're in by just buying some clothes, some cute holiday lounge pants or a dress for your granddaughter or your daughter. I mean, I think they're adorable. You can go check them out over at vickerytrading.org. I have all the links in the show notes, which you can find over at godcentermom.com. Every episode always have show notes with links, and you can get those show notes right in your email inbox. If you go to godcentermom.com on the sidebar, there's always a place where you can put in your email address. You can click weekly episodes and all those resources and different books I ever talk about or different items I talk about, you can get them straight in your email, then you can always find them for later. Also, a little bookkeeping, bookkeeping, that's not what it is, a little business. Uh, thank you to all of you who ordered Don't Mom Alone shirts and sweatshirts. If you're wondering, where is it? Uh, do know that most of them were pre-ordered. I only had a few that were in stock and I haven't shipped any of them out. So they were gone all last week, but I should be getting in the order the week uh, after Thanksgiving, and then I will be working on like a little elf getting all the packages out to all of you in time for Christmas. That's my goal. And possibly earlier. Set expectations. Good expectations that I can beat. Uh, also, wanted to let you know that in December, I usually take the month off and republish old episodes. I'm going to try something different this year. If it doesn't work, I may still republish old episodes, but get ready that I may be doing something different in December. I've got to decide <laughs> very quickly, but you know how I roll. So keep 
your eyes open for that. I know everyone's super busy in December, uh, hoping that in that busyness, it's lots of time with family, lots of time with friends, lots of time of sitting in front of your tree, lots of time in God's word and remembering the whole reason we're doing all this rigmarole that God became flesh and dwelt among us, that he took on all of our sin, that he humbled himself to the form of a servant, and that we can do the same as moms, that we can choose to take on that form, that humility, and how we serve our families, and how we serve our friends, and how we serve uh, those around us, strangers, when we interact with them in stores, that we can shine a light of Christ in all those interactions. Uh, So, Thank you all for listening. I hope you are encouraged as you head into the holidays and inspired uh, to do a good work with what you have. All right, go get them. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the God-Centered Mom podcast. If you're looking for more resources on how to replace me with he, go to godcenteredmom.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guest. I want you to really understand and know that God is just as present while you are washing dishes at your kitchen sink as while you are worshiping him in a church pew. He sees your service to your family and he is pleased. As it says in Zephaniah 317, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Have a great day.